Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Tiffin's Ritz Theater is ready to open their doors again. We'll get highlights of an exciting season of performances ahead. Also this morning, variant spread is on the rise. Cases are becoming more serious in younger patients, and some areas are reimposing mask mandates. Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baruti gives the local update on COVID-19. In our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, understanding the new rules of language. For anyone who's ever struggled to decipher a text message, understand an emoji, or make sense of a meme. And are you a young professional in Findlay? The Findlay Young Professionals would like to meet you. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. Today is Hammock Day, which sounds really good to me. Were you paying attention to the weather forecast? Looks like it's going to be absolutely gorgeous, beautiful day uh, to just be lazy and uh, hang out in the hammock today. It is Mango Day, National Refreshment Day. So uh, grab, grab a mango-flavored refreshment and hang out in the hammock. That sounds like a good plan. Today is also Spoonerism Day, named for philosopher and Anglican priest William Archibald Spooner. He was born in 1844, and his strong intellect was said to cause his brain to work faster than his mouth, leading him to sometimes switch his words around when he spoke. Sayings like, It is kistomary to cuss the bride, became known as Spoonerisms. So, happy Spoonerism Day to you. And it is Summer Leisure Day today, which goes back to the hammock, <laughs> the mango, the National Refreshment Day. I'm telling you, uh, you have those three things and you will be set today. Perfect. So, um, this is maybe the most... Bold story <laughs> that I saw on the Newswire this morning. I talk about the very first things you need to know to get your day started. This new study from the University of Pennsylvania finds that influencers on social media are actually unlikely to change a person's behavior. <laughs> The rise of social media has given rise to this, I guess, profession. I mean, people are doing this professionally, and this is how they're making a living as influencers on social media. Supposedly, you know, they get paid by companies to promote their products and services because supposedly they have this wide circle of influence on social media. But this research finds yeah, maybe not so much. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the study goes on to say, the author of the study goes on to say that influencers on social media not only are unlikely to change a person's behavior, but might actually be detrimental to the cause of trying to influence a person's behavior. Researcher and senior study author Damon Centola says it's because when an influencer presents an idea that their followers don't agree with, they can unintentionally antagonize the people they are seeking to persuade. Because people typically only follow influencers whose ideas confirm their beliefs around the world. Uh, 
or their beliefs about the world around them is what it says. Basically, if you want to spread gossip, go ahead and get help from an influencer. But if you want to transmit new ways of thinking that uh, that challenge an existing set of beliefs, you should be targeting people in the outer edge or fringe of a network. He says the findings turn our notions about social influence for marketing sales and social movements upside down. Not everything spreads through a network in the same way, and we can use this knowledge to pinpoint hotspots in the social graph. This can allow us to accurately tailor our strategies for effective positive change or the change that you seek if you're a business or, or something like that. So to all of those professional social influencers, I say it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> we have just blown the lid off of the idea of a career in social as a social media influencer. And good riddance, I would say, too, by the way. But anyway, some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories uh, to start off your uh, your Thursday morning. Uh, it hasn't necessarily been really hot the past few days, but we are entering the dog days of summer. And on those nights when it is hot, humid, it has been humid. Um, on those nights, you might be tempted to sleep with a fan on at night, but... The folks at Sleep Advisor are warming are, are warning against doing so. Do not sleep with a fan on at night. Experts say if you have allergies or asthma, sleeping with a fan on could end up circulating pollen and dust in the room. They say take a close look at your fan. If it has been collecting dust on the blades, those particles are flying through the air every time you turn it on. They add that leaving a fan on all night can also leave your fan feeling and looking dry and may even make your eyes and mouth feel dry. They uh, even warn that sleeping with a fan on can cause you to wake up feeling stiff as concentrated cool air can make muscles tense up and cramp. So I have to admit, my wife and I have for years slept with a fan on uh, at night, especially in the summertime, but really, honestly, year round. Apparently, it's bad for us. Who knew? So don't do that. They say, uh, speaking of the uh, dog days, when should your dog be brought inside? When is it too hot for your dog in the dog days? Experts say, unlike humans, dogs cannot sweat to cool themselves down. And so obviously they rely on panting. So if you see your pooch panting a lot, it is a sign that they are feeling the heat. Uh, other signs of heat exhaustion in your furry friend are lowered energy, unwillingness to move or walk. And rising body temperature, if you can take your dog's temperature. Um, they say dogs with short snouts, small nostrils, and narrow windpipes are more likely to struggle in the heat, which makes sense. French bulldogs, American and English bulldogs, boxers, Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, Shih Tzus, and Pugs. Uh, also dogs with heavier hair or wiry coats could benefit from shorter trims when the temperatures go up. So now you know, and you may have seen a post going around on social media claiming that giving your dogs ice cubes or other frozen treats during the heat can be harmful. But the American Kennel, uh, the American Kennel Club said, that you're <laughs> easy for me to say, the American Kennel Club, the American Kennel Club says that is not harmful. 
the case. In a Facebook post, you might have seen this, that has gone viral. It says, please do not give your dogs ice cubes or other frozen items in the heat to cool them down. Giving ice cubes to dogs in the heat has the opposite effect of cooling. But that is false. Do not believe everything you see on social media. I probably don't have to tell you that, right? Right? Don't believe everything. This is one thing you don't believe on social media, even though it has been shared thousands of times. Uh, This is a myth that originated online all the way back a decade ago or more. Uh, But veterinarians say that giving dogs ice cubes in moderation is a perfectly acceptable way to help cool them down. The experts say you should allow your dog to cool down after they exert a lot of energy and excitement prior to giving them unlimited access to food and water. Because if they drink too much water, they can develop a dangerous condition called bloat. And giving your dog ice cubes can actually help prevent that because they slow down the rate of ingestion of water by overly excited dogs. So, far from being dangerous, it actually may be the preferred method to cool a dog down, especially if they're excited after uh, playing hard outside in the heat. So, thought I would pass that along. And uh, what else we got in the uh, first among the first things you need to know this morning? Oh, I saw this, and this is my daily installment. Well, I don't know about daily. We don't have one of these every day, but we frequently have uh, these things that are... Apparently, scientific research that just leaves you shaking your head. And this is today's edition of that. It says, if kids have longer lunch times at school, we're getting into back to school season. If kids have longer lunch times at school, they are more likely to eat their fruits and veggies. This is according to research at the University of Illinois. They found that kids ate significantly more fruits and vegetables during a 20-minute lunch period than they did during a 10-minute lunch period. And there was no significant difference in the amount of beverages or entrees they consumed. So all other things were equal. It's just a longer lunch period meant they ate more fruits and veggies. The co-author of the study, Melissa Prescott, says, quote, A main takeaway from our study is that children need protected time to eat their fruits and vegetables. Our findings support policies that require at least 20 minutes of seated lunchtime at school, unquote. And here's the thing. I would challenge those findings because in my experience, when my kids were that age, you could you could allow them to sit at the table indefinitely and they would refuse to eat their veggies. (laughs) And haven't we all had that as a parent? You say, you are not getting up from this table until you eat your fruits and veggies. This study would seem to suggest that that would only take 20 minutes. And I think we have all experienced (laughs) with our own children those times when 20 minutes ain't going to get it done. (laughs) They can sit there almost indefinitely and not eat their fruits and veggies. At least my kids could. I don't know about yours, but that's uh, what I have found from my own personal experience. Uh, so I would dispute those uh, those study findings. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Partly sunny today with a high of 80. Partly cloudy tonight. Low of 62. 
The highway patrol says multiple people were injured in a two-vehicle crash in Seneca County. The crash happened on State Route 12 between Fostoria and Fremont on Wednesday just after midnight. The 42-year-old driver of one vehicle suffered serious injuries. There were six teenagers in the other vehicle, and two of them had to be life-flighted to a Toledo hospital. The highway patrol says drug usage in both drivers appears to be a factor in the crash, which is still under investigation. The Ohio Department of Health says spikes in new COVID cases around the state are part of a worrying trend in a new wave of the pandemic. Doctors say at this rate, it won't just get worse for adults. They are one variant away from this being worse for kids. Is that what we're going to do? We're going to wait until it is worse for kids and then we might take it seriously and get vaccinated. The state is considering guidance from the CDC, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and more to determine which COVID-19 precautions and recommendations to implement for the upcoming school year. ONN's Tracy Townsend reporting. Findlay City Schools says the wearing of masks will be optional for the upcoming school year. However, students and staff who have not been vaccinated are highly encouraged to wear a mask. Hancock County's Nicole Coleman has been elected president of the National Association of County Veteran Service Officers. The National Association of County Veteran Service Officers has a unique opportunity and responsibility to provide education, training, and support for County Veteran Service Officers so that they can advocate for the veterans and their families in each of our communities. Coleman says the association is poised for growth to expand even more support to the nation's Nearly 1,700 county veteran service officers get more on our website. The Ohio Bureau of Motor Vehicles is warning Ohioans of a scam. The agency says somebody is sending fraudulent postcards to Ohio residents, saying their expired driver license or identification card needs to be updated. The Ohio BMV says the postcard is riddled with grammatical errors and prompts the reader to visit a non-official website. The BMV says people need to be aware that these are not BMV-issued postcards. Get more on the scam on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Well, boy, have we been waiting for this. Tiffin's Ritz Theater is ready to open their doors again. Executive Director Michael Strong is with us this morning. Some highlights of an exciting season of performances ahead being announced this morning. And, uh, Michael, before we get to uh, the season, and there are some terrific shows to talk about, I want to ask you about some of the challenges of the uh, past year and and how you were able to manage. Uh, We know that it was so difficult over the past year uh, for performing arts venues everywhere. Talk a little bit about, you know, your uh, experience there at the Ritz. I think my two biggest problems were money and loneliness. Um, (laughs) Money is pretty obvious. Yeah, were they all for all of us, I think. Yes, absolutely. We had not a lot of income uh, within the theater, but we were able to get some grants and be able to survive. We had to furlough most of our staff, and uh, I miss my patrons. So that takes care of the loneliness part. Well, like we said, it is certainly good to know that the uh, doors are going to be reopening soon. And there are, first of all, uh, a number of carryover or rescheduled performances shows that were previously announced that will be back on the calendar. Yes, 
the big four are Trace Adkins, which are the new date, and I, I say new, but I really mean new, 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 <laughs> because it changed dates a number of times. The new date is Friday, October 8th. Chicks with Hits featuring Terry Clark, Pam Tillis, and Susie Boggess. The new date for that is October 15th. Herman's Hermits starring Peter Noon. New date for that is November 12th. And Reza, The Edge of Illusion, a very great illusionist. The new date for that is January 22nd of 2022. And I know that, uh, at least in the case of the Trace Atkins uh, show, that originally was a sellout, but now there are some tickets uh, that have come uh, available for that. A number of people have returned their tickets for one reason or another, so we do have a number of tickets available. Okay, so uh, something for to keep all four in, of those performances, for all of those. Okay, uh, now to the new season that you are announcing uh, today. There are some really big names. Run through some of the uh, highlights of the twenty twenty one twenty two Rich Theater season. Well, we kick it off on October second with a tribute to Foreigner. A group called Head Games out of New York City will be coming in, and they've been playing foreigner music for over 10 years across the country. They are an excellent, excellent tribute band. Some of the other highlights that we have coming up, uh, the Nutcracker will be back in December, uh, always a favorite here in the, at the Ritz Theater. The Texas Tenors will be coming on, on October 29th, uh, sponsored by Republic Lumber. The Nutcracker is being sponsored by Old Fort Banking Country company we have a group called the front men of country if you like country music this is the night you should be here yeah uh it features richie mcdonald of lone star larry stewart of restless heart and tim rushlow of little texas it's called the front men of country and they will be singing all their greatest hits uh individually and then get together on stage for a couple of numbers i think that's going to be a terrific show that is going to be and a thank fabulous you to blanchard night. valley health system and ropey corporation for their sponsorship yeah, there. That, that is going to be a fabulous night uh speaking of kind of compilations uh in uh, february uh you've got a show called the winter dance party which is really cool for those who uh, love the old time rock and roll it is really cool. We had a show, uh, I, I, I'll be saying last year a lot, but I mean two years ago. Right. Uh, we had a show a couple of years ago called One Night in Memphis, which was a screaming hit. It was terrific, uh, featuring some older music. And the same company that brought us that show is bringing us Winter Dance Party. What it is, is uh, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the big bopper, J.R. Richardson, were on their final tour. It was called Winter Dance Party. Mm-hmm. And they played this concert. And, of course, on February 3rd, 1959, I think it was, uh, they were in a horrible plane crash, and they all passed away. The day the so music pays, died, yeah. The day the music died, exactly. So this pays tribute to that concert. Uh, it features John Mueller, who played Buddy Holly in the Broadway hit musical, Buddy, the Buddy Holly Story. Mm. He is wonderful, just excellent. So it's going to be a lot of great old rock and roll. You'll hear all the big hits. You'll hear That'll Be the Day. You'll hear Peggy Sue. You'll hear Oh Boy and Rave On and Chantilly Lace. And it's just going to be a great night. And that's February 26th, 2022. And the uh, season only gets better from there. We've got a uh, big uh, show the point of no return tour and for those who are familiar with that album name that is kansas kansas will be here i'm looking forward to that i listened to kansas so much when i was a kid uh this is saturday <laughs> march 5th uh sponsored by blanchard valley health systems they've had multiple platinum albums and gold albums and 
platinum hits, of course, Carry On, Wayward Son, and right. Dust in the Wind, and right. uh, are a couple of the big hits that everybody knows. But the Point of No Return was a great song as well, and uh, they'll be here playing their music, and they still have some original band members in there. You uh, talk about so that'll be. You talk about listening to them growing up. I did too, and that uh, dates us both. But uh, anyway, that, that's coming. <laughs> that's coming <laughs> yes. up in March. Yes, it does. That's coming out on March 5th. Yeah, yeah. sponsored by Blanchard Valley Health System. And uh, then in May of next year, so we're looking ahead quite a bit here, but Michael Bolton, that is May just 1st. a fabulous show. He's been here before and did such a job. It was unbelievable how good his show is. And people think of him as a, a man who's recorded a lot of other people's hits. But I looked up at his discography uh, recently and realized this man has written songs for so many artists, including himself. It's amazing how many songs this man's had his fingers into. Uh, he multi-Grammy winner, a mm-hmm. uh, couple of platinum albums, a couple of gold, two Grammys, I think he's won, uh, best pop male vocal performance. Uh, um, hits with the American Music Awards and three Emmy nominations, and he's got a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And right now he's uh, co-hosting Celebrity Dating Game. Mm-hmm. So you can see him on that once a week. But he'll be here on May 1st at 7.30. It's a 7.30 Sunday show. So some terrific uh, performances uh, that are coming up, some big names, some shows that folks will not want to miss. And then, of course, rounding out the season uh, with uh, a full slate of uh, Hollywood's greatest movies, the Teen Thespian Guild, and your very own Ritz Players uh, performances as well. Yes, we have a full season coming up. We have not as many performances as we usually have. We had to go a little bit light because there were so many concerns about switching those the big four performances to october from october and january from uh from 2020 but uh we've crafted i think an excellent season um a a season of big hits and famous faces something for everyone to be sure now give us all of the details on when tickets go on sale you've got a couple of different dates for uh, season subscriptions and then for individual performances if you are a current subscriber, you can start to renew those subscriptions on August 2nd. Uh, new subscriptions, if you want to buy into that and save as much as 20%, they begin, uh, they're on sale August 16th. Our flex packages, where you pick your own favorite three shows and save 10%, the sales on that begin August 23rd. And single event ticket sales, that's single events for all shows, begin August 30th. And as we've talked about before, the Ritz is one of those places where there is not a bad seat in the house. Uh, it is a fabulous venue. Uh, the one thing, though, is that tickets do tend to go quit, quick for the hottest shows because uh, it, it's a smaller theater, so something to keep in mind. We only have 1,200 seats, so 1,258 seats, and they do go rather quickly. I, I can see three or four sellouts on this season absolutely and more details uh, on the uh, upcoming season at the ritz theater uh, at your website of course we've got that posted at ours so folks can go there tickets go on sale next month again uh, executive director michael strong with us uh, this morning from tiffin's ritz theater michael thanks very much for the info we appreciate it look forward to a great season thank you chris it's a pleasure to talk to you
Well, once again, the coronavirus is the top story in the news with variant spread on the rise, cases becoming more serious in younger patients, some areas even reimposing mask mandates. Joining us this morning is Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baroudi with kind of the local update on where things stand. And uh, Kareem, the uh, Delta variant, we keep hearing the Delta variant is now the predominant strain in most areas of the country. Is that the case here? And how do we really know? Is that something that uh, when when tests are done, we test for and we know which strain specifically uh, is predominant? Good morning, Chris. Uh, yes, it is predominant. You have heard about that um, in, um, in the U.S. And uh, I think the latest data shows that it is predominant in Ohio as well. Um, the only way to tell is to do kind of a, a genetic uh, sequencing of, of some of the tests that comes back positive. Um, and that usually takes a little time. Uh, we haven't officially identified any Delta variants here in our county. Um, but um, but I think it's it's safe to assume that it is spreading. So, kind of presumption. The presumption is that the Delta variant is the one that is predominant here, like everywhere. And as a result, we have seen uh, an increase in cases. Uh, I think a little bit more than ten uh, percent or something statewide, something like that. Uh, what has been the trend here locally uh, in the past month or so? Yeah. Now that we know that the Delta variant is kind of responsible for that swift increase in cases, you know, um, internationally and nationally here lately. Um, here locally in Hancock County, uh, in the last seven days, we always look at the seven days. And if we learn anything from the pandemic last year, um, is what we do now will affect us in, in, in seven to 14 days because it will take, you know, time for the, for the, for the, um, virus to incubate. Mm-hmm. Um, for the last seven days we looked at, um, there was an increase in about 62% in, in our local cases. Um, you know, June was really good. Um, we really, uh, you know, um, this is what we did now. In the last seven days, we've seen an increase. We have currently 13 active cases. Um, of the coronavirus, um, of the COVID-19. Um, it's, um, I can say, you know, here that, um, that's, that's the bad news about the variants and that it's, you know, that the cases are surging again. But the good news is, um, I can tell you that out of 13 cases, uh, 12 of them are not unvaccinated. Um, and only one breakthrough cases with, with a person um, had mild symptoms and a mild illness. Well, that's one of the questions uh, that I want that I wanted to ask because uh, a lot of uh, public health officials are now referring to this as having become a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, absolutely, it's unfortunate. So, I mean, the numbers are showing us that uh, when you ninety nine point five percent of the deaths, um, you know, nationwide are um, are unvaccinated when ninety seven percent, you know, nationwide um, of the cases hospitalized are in the unvaccinated. If you are unvaccinated, uh, now you're at greater risk. Absolutely. But what about and again, those who ha- have been resistant to the vaccine are, are pointing to these breakout cases and, and saying, you know, it appears that the vaccine uh, is not going to keep you from getting it because we're seeing an in- increase in these breakthrough cases. 
I, I suppose, and I, and I know that you know, we said at the beginning that the vaccines were what 80, 90 percent effective. That does imply that there are going to be a few breakout cases, but are there more than maybe what has been expected? Uh, not really. I think the, the vaccines, by all means, and all the data we've collected the last few months, we've been, uh, you know, given the shot. Um, it's been it's been good news. Actually, it's exceeding expectations um, as far as booster shots and everything else. It looks like you know the, the immunity is providing the last thing. Um, they're being efficient against the Delta variant. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, um, nothing is 100. percent And uh, I think going into this, we know there's the uh, risk, the benefit. Uh, you know, uh, analysis that we have to do um, and, and a personal responsibility when we decide about the vaccine. Uh, but by all means, I mean, even locally, the numbers are even better than the national numbers. When, um, when, when again, out of the 32,000 that we vaccinated, there's um, 13 breakthrough cases, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, people who are vaccinated and tested positive afterwards. Uh, none of those cases were hospitalized. We have zero hospitalization with the breakthrough. And um, uh, this is, I mean, this is great data. I don't know what else do we need to uh, to do to convince those individuals that, you know, to protect yourself, um, get vaccinated as soon as possible. Um, again, the Delta variants is all around us. I know we didn't detect any here yet, um, but but I'm thinking it's a matter of time. It, it is predominant in yeah. Ohio. And, and these growing concerns about increasing spread uh, also, uh, well, just to go back and, and uh, emphasize the uh, the point on the uh, the current spread that we are seeing, and the um, uh, especially among the unvaccinated, it does appear that younger patients are uh, becoming much more at risk. Uh, does that uh, appear to be tracking locally as well? Is it more prevalent now? The cases that you're seeing among younger patients? Yes. And, and um, uh, you know, from the 13 cases I mentioned that we, um, we, we were following the last um, week or so, um, we have patients as, um, as young as 15 years old. Hmm. So and, um, it, it is, you know, it is moving to the younger generation. Absolutely. And, of course, this concern comes as we are approaching back-to-school season. Uh, we've heard that most of the schools locally, uh, the policies the policies they are adopting uh, are, are basically recommending masks among the unvaccinated, but requ- but not requiring them. Uh, there are conflicting, it's being complicated because there seems to be conflicting guidance from the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC. The uh, pediatricians are saying that uh, masks should be mandatory for those who are unvaccinated. The CDC says, no, that's not necessary. What is your guidance? What are you telling schools locally? Um, you know, I think the the, the, the the time of the mandating the masks and everything else, those are long gone. I think we're at a, at a point in the pandemic now uh, where we have to use what we learned uh, about the virus. And what we learned about, you know, germs in general here. Um, and um, I think our recommendation as public health here is to uh, recommend wearing masks um, for all unvaccinated individuals, including kids 12 and under. Um, this is to protect them. That's to protect their families uh, back home. Uh, because one thing I want to mention, Chris, and it's, I think it's important to mention, uh, that I, we haven't seen any big clusters where uh, most of the cases are coming from households. 
um, where you see, you know, um, the mom, the dad, the kids are, spreading are, are testing positive. Spreading it so within the household. It's, 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 that's correct. It's spread, it's spread within families, uh, which, you know, uh, that's one thing that we need to be careful with is um, uh, if we're not protected, uh, if we're not isolating the way we should, if somebody's sick, uh, if one thing we should take from, from the last year, year and a half, or almost two years that we've been into this, is let's take the good stuff that we learned. Um, you know, that the hand hygiene, um, the, the distancing, if I'm feeling, I'm not feeling well, I should stay at home to protect others and protect my family. Um, you know, the mask, if I need to wear a mask, just put a mask on to protect yourself, protect everybody else. But it's, it's, at this point, that's what we need to take from the, uh, from all this. But it, in hearing you talk, if if there's no uh, uh, recommendation or or uh, tendency or leaning toward uh, asking schools to reimpose mask makes, then we can uh, mask mandates. Then we can, by extension, uh, assume that there is uh, no inclination to reimpose any other restrictions at this point. Just generally for the general population, as we've seen uh, in places like California. Uh, that that's that's feeling um, here locally. Um, I, I think our our residents been very responsible, um, and you know, in in, in times like these, uh, personal responsibility is very important. Um, I think as a family, we we project on our kids on on how um, how to be careful, how to protect others, how to protect ourselves. And I think that should continue. And we will leave it there. Again, Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baruti with the uh, latest local update on the COVID-19 situation uh, here in our area. Kareem, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. You remember, uh, what was it, yesterday, I think, we were talking about the new emoji that have been proposed. For every year, they add new emojis to the official collection of uh, emojis. I don't know if you ever use those in your text messages or your electronic communications. I think we've all use them from time to time. So anyway, the uh, Emoji Consortium of the Internet uh, is considering uh, new additions. Uh, Just about anyone who has uh, completed their education before the proliferation of social media and texting probably laments the fact that the English language has been so seemingly butchered by these mobile devices. If you have ever puzzled over how to punctuate a text message or tried to decipher what emojis mean or wondered where memes come from, then a couple of years ago, we introduced you to a book that you really should pick up. It is called Because Internet, Understanding the New Rules of Language from linguistics expert Gretchen McCulloch. From August of 2019, it is today's Throwback Thursday. This is important in terms of context, I think. You point out that our language has always evolved based on the way people communicate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we don't talk like Shakespeare anymore, and Shakespeare was actually writing in the vernacular of the time. Is that why some of those who get 
bent out of shape because of the grammatical style online, and I admit that I am sometimes one of those. Is that why we get so infuriated? You know, change is difficult. I get that it's hard uh, to adapt to new fashions, new foods, new uh, ways of talking, but language is alive. Culture is alive. As long as English is alive, it's going to keep changing. And your argument is that this is a good thing? This is a good thing. You know, there are proposals, philosophical proposals, to try to get a punctuation mark for sarcasm or for irony dating back hundreds of years, and they never caught on. And yet the Internet has made this happen. We have ways of communicating irony in writing, which I think is fantastic. So you can use capital letters to indicate that you're giving something a sense of ironic importance. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can use scare quotes, which are fairly well known. One that I particularly like is the use of the tilde to indicate such a wry tone of voice. (laughs) And and what's interesting about this is Again, and like I said, I am guilty of sometimes getting bent out of shape uh, when I see improper grammar, improper sentence structure or something uh, online. And yet I have engaged in some of those modern styles of writing myself. So we've gotten to the point where sometimes we're doing it without even thinking about it. Exactly. And, you know, our notions of what's proper or what's standard is just a collective agreement. And collective agreements can change. It's not an internal truth. There's no, you know, God coming down and telling. (laughs) Like, here's what the language is. Everything is changing. What the book does then is uh, explain maybe kind of the history of uh, all of this and and then how to decipher those things that we see in modern Internet writing? Yeah, exactly. So where did this stuff come from? A lot of it, interestingly, has precursors from before the Internet. So people were using, for example, all caps to indicate shouting uh, for uh, you know, at least the past hundred years, we have records of it in diaries, in journals, in letters, uh, other kinds of informal writing uh, dating back to before the, the Internet at all. Also, the use of deliberate lowercase or all lowercase mm-hmm. to indicate a sort of muted or wry or deadpan sort of tone of voice or sense of humor, which is something that's been developing a lot more recently, uh, especially with the rise of the smartphone. So smartphones produce uh, automatic capitalization at the beginning of sentences and because of this automaticity, it suddenly becomes harder to produce uh, lowercase, and that's when people start using lowercase for stylistic effect. So any suggestion this might be due to laziness or something is like, wait a second, you're going to extra effort to make it look like it's kind of lazy or anti-authoritarian or, you know, has this sort ah, of deadpan effect. That's interesting. It's really fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting. Still, there must be some things that just drive you batty. I mean, I, I get the I get the changes uh, involving punctuation, sentence structure, and, and trying to express emotion in a text form. I get that, uh, and those things evolve over time. But that still doesn't excuse... Things like misspellings and the misuse of real words there and there uh, and and run-on sentences and that kind of thing. I mean, aren't there still some basics that have to apply? I find that my life has gotten so much better. My blood pressure is better since (laughs) I... Stopped worrying about language. There are plenty of things to worry about in this day and age. You can worry about global warming, you know, but just language change isn't one of them. A fair point. What about those who say that all of this is well and good uh, in virtual communication, text message and social media and so on, but it doesn't apply or it shouldn't apply when we're talking about 
formal writing when you actually uh, write out a letter to someone or business communication? Because we've actually seen some of this evolution creep into more formal writing. Is that a good thing? One thing that I think is really interesting is that speech has had multiple genres for a long, long time. You know, some of our earliest records, things like the Iliad and the Odyssey and Beowulf, are actually records of oral poems. That's not how people talk like that. They didn't rhyme things in their ordinary conversations. Mm -hmm. But these epic poems show a different oratorical style. So speech has long supported having multiple genres. You can give a public speech in a way that's different from how you'd have a conversation with your friends. What we're seeing with internet writing is that the same thing can be true of the written medium. So you can have formal essays. You know, you don't even use exclamation marks in a formal essay, let alone an emoji or something like that. And that's still true because it's it's disembodied. But the informal genre, what we're really talking about is a, is a genre split. You might, you might learn how to do a public speech better, mm-hmm. um, and you can learn how to write an essay, but that's an artificial genre that you're doing for a very specific purpose. To that end, do you worry that uh, especially young people today spend so much time communicating in these informal ways that they are losing the ability to communicate formally? Another way you could look at it, though, is that young people have so much practice crafting their messages to a particular intent, you know, trying to make sure it's read exactly how you want it to be read. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately practice in writing that could stand you in good stead if you want to become a you know, novelist later and craft realistic dialogue. Again, uh, linguistics expert Gretchen McCullough with some of her uh, conversation with us from August of 2019 about her book, Because Internet, Understanding the New Rules of Language for Anyone Who Has Ever struggled to decipher a text message, understand an emoji, or make sense of a meme, this is the book you need. We've got a link up to it from our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Today's Throwback Thursday. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update in the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We have all kinds of stories uh, this morning. couple of stories. I didn't say all kinds. We've got a couple of stories uh, this morning. People doing weird things uh, as a result of the coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> it seems there's no end to this. Um, both of these from the international file, interestingly enough, it's doesn't, it seems that it's not just Americans who are tired of all of the lockdowns and restrictions and so on. An Indonesian man who tested positive for COVID-19 is now accused of disguising himself as his wife in order to board a plane. <laughs> the, the man identified publicly only as DW allegedly boarded the flight from Jakarta to uh, Ternate, is that how you pronounce it, uh, in India? Made it all the way to his destination before he was detained. This is according to a report on CNN. He got onto the flight wearing a full-body niqab, which is traditional female garb in India, and carrying the ID belonging to his wife. So he was basically wearing a dress and carrying his wife's ID. She had tested negative for the coronavirus. But a flight attendant says she saw him enter the bathroom in mid-flight wearing his wife's clothes and then exiting dressed in his normal clothes. Clearly a male. And the gig was up. (laughs) Chalk that up to the category of sounded like a good idea at the time. 
Not to be outdone, a 39-year-old man in Australia is now behind bars for trying to escape a mandated COVID-19 quarantine. After arriving in Western Australia on Monday, the man failed to complete his application to meet the COVID-19 requirements of entry. As a result, now that's required in the land down under, as a result, he was scheduled on a flight back home. They were sending him right back home. And in the meantime, he was supposed to stay quarantined in a hotel. But it seems the man had other plans that didn't involve quarantining all night. And somewhere around midnight, he scaled the side of the building from his fourth floor room using a rope made of sheets tied together. (laughs) It's like breaking out of jail or something. Uh, Police did not locate him until about eight hours later. And according to news reports, he was charged at that time for failing to comply with the direction, providing false or misleading information. He is being held until early August when his 14-day quarantine period ends so that he can appear in court in person. <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, people are just, the this uh, pandemic is making people loopy. It just is. It's... Not just in this country. Back to this side of the pond, domestically, in today's broken news. An Oklahoma woman is accused of attacking her husband after he asked for a divorce. She attacked him after he asked for a divorce. Sheriff's officials say 35-year-old Chanel Lewis was with her husband Christopher and their kids at a local ATV trail park in Winnet, Oklahoma, over the weekend when a fight broke out, and that's when she allegedly jumped on one of the ATVs and ran over her husband. (laughs) Gee, I can't imagine why he wanted a divorce. She seems like such a lovely woman. (laughs) I can't imagine why (laughs) that, that relationship didn't work. That's so surprising. A Florida woman... Uh, is facing charges for skinny dipping in the pool. And you would think, why would someone, I mean, hey, you can skinny dip in your own pool. Well, that's the problem. It wasn't her own pool. It was a stranger's pool. (laughs) She jumped into a stranger's pool, stark naked, and then refused to leave. The homeowner (laughs) was no doubt surprised to find a naked woman in, in their pool, Homeowner told deputies he returned home and noticed the woman, later identified as 42-year-old Heather Kennedy, swimming naked in his pool after spotting clothing scattered across the porch. (laughs) Charlotte County Sheriff's Office deputies say Ms. Kennedy was hostile toward officers when they arrived and asked her several times to get dressed and get out of the pool. Uh, Once she finally did climb out of the pool and get dressed, she attempted to resist arrest According to police documents, she now faces charges of trespassing and resisting arrest, but not indecent exposure, apparently. So at least that's not (laughs) the report doesn't say anything about that. So I don't know. Uh, Let's see. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this is really crazy. A rifle dating back to the Revolutionary War era that was stolen from Pennsylvania's Valley Forge Visitor Center in 1971 has been recovered after more than five decades. 
The man who took it has pleaded guilty in the case. Thomas Gavin, age 78, faces up to 10 years behind bars for disposing of an object of cultural heritage stolen from a museum. In 2018, he sold the rifle, along with more than 20 other antique firearms, to a Pennsylvania antiques dealer for a little over $27,000. And that dealer realized not long afterward that the weapon was stolen after reading about the theft. A crowbar was used to pry open the rifle's case in broad daylight in 1971. A Boy Scout noted the, uh, noticed the missing weapon later. The antique firearms expert says the rifle's market value is close to $200,000. Mr. Gavin also confessed to stealing 18th and 19th century firearms from the American Swedish Historical Museum, the Valley Forge Historical Society, the Pennsylvania Farm Museum, and the Hershey Museum, according to his plea agreement. So they busted a whole lot of open, stolen firearms cases, antique firearms cases. That's crazy. After five decades... There you go. Case closed. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN Radio News. We keep you in the know with the events of our community that affect you and your family. Whenever it happens, you can count on us to fill you in with the information you need. We'll also keep you up to date with all the latest from around the Buckeye State with the help of the Ohio News Network. And we cover the nation and the world with the resources of ABC News. The information you need around the clock from your news authority. 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and now at 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. We are just weeks away from back to school and a significant majority of parents are worried that maybe the pandemic has taken a toll on their children's ability to interact with others. A survey of 2,000 parents of kids between the ages of 5 and 14 found 70%, 7 in 10, say they fear their kids have forgotten how to socialize because of all of the social distancing and quarantining and distance learning and all of that. Of the parents who responded to the poll commissioned by the educational site Osmo, 41% say they fear their kids will not be able to keep up in conversations with their friends. 40% worry their children will not be able to to meet new people and, and make new friends. 37% say they fear their kids will forget their social graces, like saying please and thank you. 62% do not believe that their child will be able to pick up up where they left off socially when school returns in person for millions of kids this fall. 85% of the respondents say that socializing with their peers is a necessary part of school when it is in person. And, you know, that's one of those things as a parent myself, I always said that, you know, the learning is not just about what the kids uh, get out of their lessons and get from the textbooks. Uh, School is really all about learning how to interact and get along with others and and things like that. And and, uh, 85% of of parents in the poll uh, say that the socialization being necessary, 44% of parents said socializing is as important as academic learning. 
The survey also revealed that because of the lockdowns, 77% of parents encourage their child to be socially distant uh, as a precaution. 52% say they motivated their kid to play video games online with their friends. 49% say they pushed their child to call or text their friends just to stay in touch. And 46% got their kids to hang out with their friends outdoors over the past year. So kind of interesting in this survey, again, uh, commissioned by the educational website Osmo, uh, 2,000 parents of kids between the ages of 5 and 14. All the time away from school will take another toll, uh, according to the respondents. They're concerned about this. Three out of four of these parents say they believe their kids lost a year of proper education because of all of the time away from the classroom. That the online learning and the uh, different forms of of learning just were not adequate and did not uh, serve as a uh, replacement and that they will be academically behind where they should be. Three out of four. And I would guess that that number in reality, and this was an unscientific poll, I would think that uh, in reality, that number is probably far higher. Well, if you are a young professional in Findlay, then the fin- Findlay Young Professionals would like to meet you. Uh, they have their uh, annual kickoff event coming up next week, and uh, Chloe Crowther is uh, with us from uh, Findlay Young Professionals. Chloe, thanks very much for uh, being with us. We appreciate it. This is actually an event that you normally uh, host much earlier in the year, and like so many other things, push back because of the pandemic, right? Yes, exactly. Better late than never. <laughs> Absolutely. So talk a little bit about what Finley Young Professionals is all about. Absolutely. So it's a social and networking and volunteering group uh, for young professionals in the area to meet each other, uh, get to know the community. Some of them may be new to the area or just looking to make friends. And uh, what are some of the things, some of the activities uh, that that you do? As you mentioned, it's uh, not obviously socializing, but also networking uh, for shared business interests. And uh, also uh, there is a, a public service component to it, as you said. Absolutely. A lot of what we do is social. So we do happy hours once a month um, and then some other fun things like we have uh, an exciting uh, pairing event. I can't give away too much coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Um, And then we have uh, volunteering. We hook up with other nonprofits in the area to get ideas uh, to really serve the community. And as for networking, um, we try to get in touch with um, leaders in the community that maybe can give us a taste of, of what that looks like as a young professional. As you mentioned, uh, this is particularly helpful for those who are uh, new, not just to the community, but new in the world of business. Because, again, we are uh, focusing on young professionals. What are the uh, age, uh, what age range are we generally looking at here? Yeah, it's 21 to 45. Uh, it's a pretty wide range. And we mm-hmm. do make exceptions for people that are under 21 as well. And as we mentioned, the uh, open house is coming up next week. So give us all of the details on this. Yeah, we'll have uh, Jerry Blevins, a former Major League Baseball pitcher. He's going to give us a talk about leadership as he's experienced it in his career. Um, There's going to be some great hors d'oeuvres and a cash bar. And that gets started at 530. And that is actually one week from today right it is next thursday today yep okay and and uh where uh, is this uh, going to be held 
It's at the fin- Finley Country Club. Okay. Uh, do folks need to register for this, or is it just kind of an open invitation? Uh, we'd love it if you register. You can register on our website, and you can find that on all our social media, how to get there. It's finleyyp.com. So and it I, is free. Yeah, and it is and it is free. Um, as you mentioned, this is just uh, the the first of many events. You hold uh, events, uh, you know, throughout the year. Uh, people are are welcome to take part in as many or as few as they can. I mean, yep, that's correct. Your time commitment is up to you with this group. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What kind of, because I can hear some people say, oh, I'm not sure that I, I have a whole lot of uh, time that I can commit to this. But again, that entirely uh, is uh, is up to you. And what's, what is the uh, size uh, of the group? I mean, generally, how many uh, people are we talking about? So it fluctuates. Most of our events are not super big. Um, mm-hmm. And we like that because you really get a chance to talk to all the other people there. Um, they're between like 10 and 20 people normally. Um, this bigger event, our kickoff, is probably going to be closer to 75, 100. Um, but our membership kind of fluctuates throughout yeah. the year. And and when we say uh, professionals, the Finley Young professionals, are you looking for individuals in certain uh, business categories or certain groups, certain professions? I mean, define how do you define that? So a professional is just anyone that's working. We really take um, anyone from any job. It doesn't matter if you're an accountant or a mechanic. um, You'll be welcome with FYP. So again, the uh, open house, uh, the kickoff event uh, delayed from earlier in the year is one week from today. You said Finley Country Club and what time? That's right, 5.30 p.m. Okay. Uh, If uh, you want more information about the uh, Findlay Young Professionals organization, uh, we've got a link up on our webpage. And again, it is a a great uh, organization because... As you mentioned, and you kind of alluded to, this is an area uh, that is has had so much growth and and such an influx of uh, young professionals and many different career paths. Uh, this is a great way to uh, get to know each other and uh, uh, kind of advance uh, your career. A lot of leadership uh, related stuff, uh, as is with the case of the uh, kickoff next week, uh, that uh, folks can get a lot uh, out of. And by the way, I should uh, mention that even though. You call it Finley Young Professionals. This is open pretty much to anybody in Hancock County, right? Yep, that's correct. So we've got it linked up. More information about it at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Again, Chloe Crowther with us uh, this morning. The Finley Young Professionals. Uh, Chloe, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. And that puts a wrap on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Of course, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. Check that out. Coming up tomorrow on the program, both parties in Congress can still work together when the issue is important enough. Representative Bob Latta will join us to talk about his bipartisan effort to secure the nation's energy grid from hackers and state cyber criminals. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.